0: Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC, as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 18,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at DMEC.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hi, we're glad you're listening. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC. And in this episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about restricted duty with Tracy DeFridis, a program leader and director of training, services, and outreach for the Job Accommodation Network. So Tracy, I'm hoping you will set the stage for listeners in terms of what restricted duty is, when it comes into play, and what some of the most common points of confusion are for employers.
1: Sure, I can do that. You know, restricted duty, it's sometimes referred to as light duty or modified duty. But it's essentially, it's a temporary work assignment that's provided to an employee who might be recovering from an injury or some sort of health condition that might be a disability, or even pregnancy and related medical conditions. Uh, And maybe they're unable to perform their regular job duties at full capacity. So we're looking at making some modifications, some adjustments to the type of work they might do because of limitations they might be experiencing. Uh, It typically involves maybe assigning an employee to tasks or responsibilities that accommodate their specific medical restrictions or their limitations uh, because it allows them to return to work or continue working and remain productive for some time. So so kind of think of it as adjusted job duties that can uh, address some of the limitations they might be experiencing, typically for a temporary period of time. Um, you asked too, you know, when it might come into play. Well, it might come into play when someone's unable to perform their regular job duties uh, due to, like I said, a medical condition. But maybe they're able to return to work with some specific restrictions. So it might be sort of a key component of an organization's return to work program, uh, or it might be necessary in order to comply with workers' compensation or the Americans with Disabilities Act in some way. We know that light duty can help employees gradually ease back into their regular job duties because they're given the opportunity to go ahead and perform some alternative tasks that can be completed within those restrictions they might have. It also helps employers keep people working, right? So it can be uh, certainly an excellent way to uh, continue with some productivity and uh, also meet uh, the individual's and employer's needs at the same time. I think you also mentioned something about common points of confusion, too. So I know that sometimes it's, uh, you know, not always clear when somebody might be eligible for restricted duty or light duty uh, or when it might need to be offered, I think. So, you know, one of those common points of confusion can be around Figuring out when an employee is uh, eligible to be afforded either a light-duty job or assigned light-duty tasks. Uh, There can be some interplay between maybe the Americans with Disabilities Act and state workers' compensation laws and some confusion around what responsibilities might lie there for the employer. Uh, and so it can be unclear who qualifies to receive light duty or you know be under restricted duty and what the employer's responsibilities might be um, based on any legal requirements related to providing restricted duty. Uh, another point of confusion I can think of centers around maybe identifying suitable tasks for employees on restricted duty. Uh, so you know, is it that the employer needs to create tasks or assign the employee to a different role temporarily? Uh, or maybe simply excusing some some functions of the job in some cases. And so there can be a lot to consider. But ultimately, the goal is to kind of identify a way that enables the employee to be productive within their restrictions and also meet those business needs. Uh, One final thing I can think of maybe is also that um, when there isn't effective communication with employees or maybe their healthcare provider throughout the return to work process or the accommodation process, relating to defining restricted duty. Uh, This can cause some confusion. Um, So, what I mean is if maybe someone is placed on restricted duty or the healthcare provider says they need light duty, but it's not really defined according to the employee's impairment, their limitations in the job duties. Uh, And the employer may not have any idea how to modify the job duties if they don't have some specific information about what light duty means. You know, we kind of look at light duty or restricted duty as kind of a nebulous term. It, it doesn't really make clear to the employer what someone can or cannot do. So in that instance, you might have to seek some clarification from the healthcare provider about specific uh, limitations or restrictions affecting the person's ability to work. You know what the what weight not to lift or push or pull, or what distance not to walk, or uh, what duration is okay for standing or sitting, things like that. So so that communication um, can cause or, or lack of communication, I should say, can cause some confusion. You know, when, a, when an employer receives that information and it simply says this person needs light duty, well, we don't know what that means in relation to the type of work that that person has to complete. So the lack of clarity really makes it difficult to identify suitable accommodations and uh, provide a, a, you know, a job or a work environment or the tasks that that could fall within the restrictions the person might have. So, um, you know, that light duty can have a lot of different meetings, meanings in different employment settings. Uh, And so, you know, if the employer doesn't understand what the healthcare provider believes the person should be restricted in doing, um, if they have an inaccurate understanding of their condition, the capabilities, and uh, the limitations affecting the ability to do the job, it's really difficult to move forward in that process of providing a solution that will keep that person working or returning them to work. And so... um, you know I, th- I would say that typically I, you know i suggest that if employers receive a request like that ask some clarifying questions, you know, come back to the table. You can talk with the individual and certainly get their understanding of what it is they believe they're, they're going to have difficulty doing. Uh, but if you feel like you need to get some clarification from the healthcare provider, under the right circumstances, you can certainly ask additional questions. So, uh, you know, what's slight duty mean for this particular individual? Uh, you know, what are their specific limitations and how does this affect their ability to perform what would be the essential duties of the job? So, it's okay to come back and and get some additional information in order to to have that path forward uh, and provide a solution that will hopefully work.
0: How many employers have this laid out or specified in advance of an employee needing an accommodation or something to help that employee return to work? Or is this a a little bit of a nebulous category here?
1: you know, I would say that employers probably—it's probably a common practice for them to include a restricted duty policy or uh, maybe a. a- You know in their accommodation policy some ideas around what restricted duty or light duty looks like so it might be part of their return to work policy or an accommodation policy Um, so I, i would say that's probably a common practice you know i can't say how many employers perhaps you know might have that but i think it's helpful to maybe Provide some information within a policy of that nature that um, explains what constitutes restricted or light duty. But with that, I think it's also important to ensure that it, it makes clear that more information may be needed to address the unique needs of the employee. So I think it's important to maybe provide some examples of tasks or responsibilities that are typically offered to employees on restricted duty, but to also make it clear that we have to, we have to, uh, engage in these uh, accommod- in an accommodation process or a return to work process in a unique way so make sure that we don't do a you know apply a one-size-fits-all approach uh, look at the individual' specific needs but but make sure those people who are responsible for moving forward have an understanding that just the term light duty, you know, doesn't necessarily tell them everything they need to know. So what would be the next steps then in that situation uh, to ensure that you can get the information needed to uh, go ahead and and provide some sort of restricted duty type assignment or tests or um, maybe reassigning someone to a light duty program or position if you have that.
0: We had a podcast episode recently with a physician who was talking a little bit about some of the confusion that, that, healthcare providers have if they don't know about modified duties or ways that an employee can return to work without jumping right back into the the previous role. And so that also um, factors in there. It it seems yeah. like a, a bit of a confusion point of who should get that information and when. I guess, uh, to make sure everybody is in that loop. As, as you mentioned earlier, the communication is key or, or lack of communication uh, can also be a problem there.
1: Absolutely. And just to comment on that too, Heather, you know, we do rely on healthcare providers and other appropriate professionals to provide information about a person's impairment and, and their restrictions. But oftentimes, they might simply say light duty or restricted duty, and they might not define that because... They might not know what that means to the employer um, or the individual in their circumstances. So um, they may not know necessarily what else to offer. They just know that this person might not be able to perform the essential duties of the job they're currently in because they might be too physically or mentally demanding. So they kind of, you know, use that term as a way to say this person needs to do something that is different than what they're currently doing. Um, So I think, you know, part of the process is uh, just again, improving that communication, uh, getting the information that's needed by being more specific with that healthcare provider when it's necessary.
0: You mentioned the Americans with Disability Act earlier, and I'm I'm wondering how the Americans with Disabilities Act applies when an employee requests restricted duty. And this is a little bit of a tack-on to this question. Uh, Is it fair to assume that employees request restricted duty, or is this something that the employers recommend or the healthcare provider recommends?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I would say that a request for restricted or light duty uh, needed for a medical reason will trigger the accommodation process, right? So, you know, with that knowing that, uh, when an employer is faced with those uh, knowing there there's a, a a reason related to a medical condition that somebody needs a modification, right? In doing their job, we know the ADA comes into play there, and so for that reason, it is important for the employer to engage in the accommodation process with the individual. They might have to gather some information to determine why the request is being made. Uh, whether the employee has an ADA disability or an injury of some sort, and then determine whether restricted or light duty is a reasonable accommodation. So there's some responsibility there to engage in the process based on what is known at that point. It doesn't always mean the person is going to have an ADA disability or that, that they're entitled to an accommodation of restricted or light duty. Um, But you have to engage in that process in order to move forward and figure that out, right? So so it's really important to keep that in mind. And that's where I think, you know, we always have to recognize when an accommodation request is being made. Um, You know, when we look at light duty as an accommodation, it's temporary or or it could be permanent work that's physically or mentally less demanding than the employee's normal job duties. And it can look a lot of different ways. You know, so uh, we have to look at that accommodation situation case by case. With the question of, you know, whose whose responsibility is it? Basically, you know, does the individual ask for it? Uh, Does the employer decide that it's going to be provided? You know, if we look at it from an accommodation standpoint, it's typically the individual making it known to the employer that they need restricted duty or light duty. Uh, And that might come, you know, via their healthcare provider in a note. It could come from a a formal request that is made for accommodation. Uh, It could come from a conversation with with the, um, the person's supervisor or manager as a start where they might notice that they're having some difficulty performing job duties. So it could start in a lot of different ways. Um, as far as the employer, in in you know, do, are, are they recommending it restricted or light duty? Not typically. I'm, I think that if the employer has reason to believe that somebody is having difficulty performing their job duties because of a known medical condition, uh, then that's where you have that conversation. We we need to talk about what's going on and and figure out what the person's needs might be and whether there's a medical condition involved. So. There are times when an employer might might sort of broach that topic with the individual based on what's known. But ordinarily, I'd say it's more so going to be a a request for restricted or light duty. And that's how we trigger that accommodation process. Okay, great. I'm, I'm hoping you'll
0: talk a little bit about restricted duty requirements for the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And kind of on a broader level, I'm wondering if restricted duty is available really to anyone who needs an accommodation.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, You know, this is certainly a law that's on everyone's mind right now. Um, but I'm going to preempt my comments with a reminder that the regulations to implement the PWFA are only proposed at this time. Uh, the public comment period ended, and hopefully we'll have some final regulations from the EEOC in a couple of months. Um, but I can kind of share our understanding of light duty maybe as an accommodation under the PWFA based on the proposed regulation. So uh, I would say to kind of keep it simple, uh, like under the ADA, light duty might need to be provided as an accommodation for workers with known limitations related to pregnancy or childbirth or related medical conditions, of course, unless an undue hardship would result. So I think it's fair to say that the ADA principles related to providing light duty or restricted duty, and including assignment to light duty or placement in a light duty program, those will apply under the PWFA. And I say that because a lot of what we're seeing in the in the PWFA regulations are it's modeled after the ADA. Right. There is an exception Uh, under the PWFA. An employer might need to accommodate. The inability to perform one or more essential functions of a job by temporarily suspending the requirement, uh, which is different than what we see under the ADA. Uh, Under the ADA, employers are not required to remove essential job duties as a form of accommodation. So that is something I I would say is a bit different from a PWFA standpoint uh, when we're thinking about light duty or uh, restricted duty as an accommodation. Uh, The other thing, too, is you know, from an ADA standpoint, when we take away an essential job duty, if, if you know, we 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 expect that people must be able to perform the essential job duties with or without accommodation, and there's no duty under the ADA to remove an essential job duty, to uh, to provide an accommodation. So, but that's different, you know, from a PDA standpoint. So, I think that's something that we're going to see is a little bit different, and uh, employers are going to have to try to figure out how to navigate that, keeping in mind that it, it's a situation that is is temporary. We we know that it's typically going to be a temporary situation. Um so they might need to suspend that duty. Uh, if you know maybe it creates a light duty uh position as a result of doing that. Uh it might mean temporarily transferring the person into a, a, a position that would be light duty in nature, um, or maybe even assigning them to a light duty program if there's a position available within that program. So so I think at the end of the day, uh, we are looking at accommodations that are similar to what we've seen under ADA, with some exceptions for pregnant workers as it relates to suspending essential job duties. Now, having said that, I've said a lot about it, the ADA, uh, knowing that it's always okay to go above and beyond compliance. And certainly at JN, we like to look at things that way, because in any scenario, if you have somebody who is having some difficulty doing their job, and there's some way to uh, provide some assistance, to make a modification in order to enable them to return to work or continue working, doesn't it make good business sense to do that? So so certainly I, I would say consider the beyond compliance approach, whether it's ADA, you know, PWFA, or just somebody who maybe has a temporary injury as well. So um, just some, some food for thought there.
0: That's a great point. And I think the the more we hear people talk about how returning to work can actually be therapeutic and help people heal in in myriad ways it it's a really helpful reminder to think about that ability to go above and beyond
1: absolutely and i think you know, sometimes it's easy enough to make a modification without getting too bogged down in all the compliance issues. Uh, So why not do it? Uh, You know, I I think it just, it just makes sense, especially in those temporary situations too. You know, if you've got somebody who is temporarily restricted, it's maybe, you know, not a major restriction, but it does affect them in performing some of their job duties. Uh, If you know it's going to be temporary and it it will not really create uh, much difficulty, Uh, You can go ahead and make those changes. So it's certainly something to consider.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I've I've heard you speak at previous. DMEC conferences also about trial accommodations mm-hmm. and the uh, really encouraging employers to assess what is what might be possible again as you said within a temporary situation or time frame to see if it works which also shows good faith on the part of the employer and i can only assume would make an employee feel valued and as though the employee is try- or employer is trying to keep that person at work, which is also valuable.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we talk a lot about uh, uh, trial and temporary accommodations because it, it certainly is a good best practice, I think, to implement, uh, you know, when you know it's going to resolve a situation, keep somebody working and still meet the employer's business needs.
0: Absolutely. It, it really does sound like that. Um, I know this is a cliche to say, but win, win-win there right <laughs> for everyone. Uh, and I know that you have some really helpful resources on the JAN website in terms of accommodations and, and ways to approach those. So we'll make sure to link to that in the notes section of this episode. Great. I think as a final question for you today, I'm curious about what some of the most common questions your team at JAN fields from employers regarding restricted duty or light duty.
1: Oh, well, of course, you know, we get the questions about um, whether restricted or light duties required as a reasonable accommodation, which we've covered quite a bit here. Uh, we also get questions about, uh, does an employee have to be 100% healed, meaning no restrictions in order to return to work? You know, we have those situations where an employer might say, no, you can't come back until you have no restrictions at all. And That's not the best response because, you know, we know that the whole idea behind accommodating someone, it's because they might have some restrictions or limitations preventing them from performing certain job duties. So, you know, having a 100% healed policy, for example, could certainly violate the ADA. Um, So you want to be careful there. You want to make sure that you're looking at whether it's possible to provide an accommodation to get somebody back to work or to keep them working and not applying a policy like that. Um, I would say some other things. uh, We get questions around whether workers' compensation, you know, if somebody has a workers' comp injury, how does the ADA come into play in those situations? Uh, We know that an individual with an injury covered under workers' comp may be protected by the ADA as well, but it's not an automatic protection. You still have to figure out does this person have a, a medical condition and injury that is going to rise to the level of a disability under the ADA? So uh, where those two laws g- can certainly run in tandem with each other, uh, they don't always automatically. So sometimes we get questions around that. Uh, and quite commonly, we you know what we get those questions about whether an employer has to remove functions from an individual's job as an accommodation to allow them to have a late duty uh, assignment or to work under that restricted duty uh, that's been requested. And, you know, we've talked a good bit about that, too. So I would say that, you know, those are probably some of the more common questions, aside from just really uh, addressing individual circumstances related to specific jobs and and, um, types of, of restrictions people might have. Yeah,
0: we do have a a few articles uh, on that concept or that policy of 100% healed. So I'm glad you brought that up and I'll make sure to include links to those resources in the the notes section as well. Yeah, I
1: mentioned, I'm oh, sorry, Heather. I would also yeah. mention EEOC has some really great information in their uh, employer-provided leave in the ADA resource around 100% healed policies. Uh, and actually, we have some as well. But um, so certainly want to get people to that AskJAN.org site. Um, but you can uh, go ahead and Uh, mention some of those resources in the notes, too. So we have one resource on light duty and another uh, related to return to work uh, policies that might also be helpful through our A to Z list.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Yes, we will make sure to have all those included in the notes section. And I appreciate you mentioning the EEOC resource as well. So I'll make sure to include that link, too. Um, one of the things that we do hear from, from DMEC members as well as our reviewers commenting on on At Work magazine articles is that one of the things they realize is that as when someone goes is off work or or is taking a leave of absence, um and you're looking at a return to work program and a light duty or restricted duty. It flags for folks that they might not have updated the job description in a timely manner, so they can identify those. And I, I hear you laughing a little bit. So it, it it is something that I'm sure you're you're very familiar
1: with. Yes. yes. Yeah, so often, uh, you know, we know that we, we don't always keep our job descriptions up to date, right? So, it's something to pay attention to now and then. Make sure you're taking a look at them, you know. We often use job descriptions as a way to determine what someone's essential job duties are. Uh, Now, having said that, the job description is not the end-all be-all as it relates to what's uh, expected in a position, but it certainly can be helpful to have some of that information defined, knowing that uh, you might also have to look to other resources to figure out what the essential duties are. So that might be uh, the, this person's supervisor or manager who is familiar with what goes on every day. It could also be other people working in a specific job who might be able to say, yeah, these are the duties that that are actually expected of us on a regular basis. So so kind of keep that in mind too. But that's relevant in, in looking at restricted duty and light duty and uh, what somebody might be expected to uh, perform. So so, yeah. So take a look at your job descriptions every now and then. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it does all come full circle, seemingly, with with this piece. Uh, so I so appreciate you shedding some light on this issue. It's one of the things we hear members talking about and, and asking about frequently. So this will be very helpful. I appreciate your time today. Thank you.
1: Great. Thank you, Heather.
0: Before we end this episode of the podcast, I did just want to mention that DMEC has recently released a Building a Return to Work Program micro-credential course, and the this course has some information about restricted duty, so please check out the new micro-credential course, and you'll find the link in the notes section of this episode.